At the heart of the Christian faith is a claim on which the whole faith stands. The crucified Jesus was raised bodily from the dead on the third day. Christianity depends on the truth of that statement. And it falls without it. The resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity what it is. And apart from the resurrection, there is no such thing as Christian faith. And the implications of Jesus' resurrection are far-reaching. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say that the implications of Jesus' resurrection touch everything. Every life, every aspect of life, every aspect of the world, every aspect of the cosmos. That may sound like a grandiose statement, but it's true. You cannot overstate, you cannot overemphasize the massive implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Now when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he wrote in part to address one implication of the resurrection that some of the Christians in Corinth had rejected. There was kind of one thing, there were a lot of problems in Corinth, one of the problems was they hadn't figured out the full implications of the resurrection. They hadn't wrestled with some aspects of that. Maybe they'd wrestled with it, but they hadn't come to the right place. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but some of them rejected the, re the future resurrection of believers. Right, so you can hear that in verse 12. That's what Paul is saying there. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, he's like, we take that as a point of agreement. They believe in the gospel. They believe Jesus has been raised. But some of them are saying, and Paul says, how can you, Jesus has been raised, how can you deny this other thing? And the other thing they are denying is the resurrection of the dead. And he's not talking about something that's already happened. He's talking about a future reality. He's going to flesh that out in the rest of the chapter. We're going to get to that later. We're just kind of getting a sense of what's coming today. He's going to flesh that out. When Jesus returns, Paul expects him to take those who belong to him believers literally raise their bodies up from the dead give them new bodies. cremated people get reconstituted decaying people get resurrected everybody who belongs to jesus is made immortal and incorruptible so that's what paul's dealing with here and there's a principle that he's depending on that we can articulate and we just kind of want to settle there and and, and and consider the implications of it and the principle is this Whatever is true for Jesus is true for the people who belong to Jesus. All right? And when it comes to resurrection, the bottom line is, if resurrection is true for Jesus, then it will be true for all of us. Notice the difference there, though. It's already true for Jesus. It's not yet true for us. It will be. And that's the point that he wants to develop in detail as the chapter begins. But as we begin thinking about, kind of thinking Paul's thoughts after him, this is what we want to hold on to. So much of his theology, his pastoral ministry, his, the practical aspects of church life depends on this principle. If it's true for Jesus, it's true for those who belong to him. And he takes what's his and he shares it with his brothers and sisters. That's where the language in Paul of co-heirs with Christ comes up. We talk about being joint heirs with Jesus. If he's inherited it, he shares it with us. And one of the, like, the linchpin of that, the major piece of it, is his resurrection if jesus is raised from the dead if resurrection is true for jesus it will also be true for us it's not true for us yet <laughs> anybody no one can raise their hand on that one none of us have been raised from the dead but we will be if we belong to him that's where it's going so let's dig into the problem a little bit more 
in verse 12. You have your Bible, you just kind of want to settle there a little bit. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And so Paul takes Jesus' resurrection as, right, this is the event that disproves the opposition. <laughs> you know? It's like, you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, look at Jesus. Look at it. And he takes some time and he begins to develop. I mean, he, he, he really starts in the place where they agree, doesn't he? These opening verses, verses 1 through 11. And he, he, he develops uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it's not clear what they do believe about life after death, because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Somebody dies, and different people have different ideas about what that looks like. Right? Some people believe, you know, you just cease to exist. There were people in the ancient world who believed that you just, you know, you die, and that's the end of you. And don't sweat what happens afterwards because, well, nothing happens afterwards. There are some people in the ancient world who believe that. There are other people that probably the predominant view is that when you die, you go to a place called Hades, um, the place of the dead. It's kind of a shadowy existence, uh, not particularly desirable. You'd rather avoid it if you could, it's, but, but it's not really what we think of when we think of hell, but it certainly isn't heaven. It's just kind of a weird, limbo, not terribly exciting place to be. And the large part of the ancient world thought about death in that way. Occasionally, great heroes or emperors or kings would get some sort of blessed afterlife. Sometimes they thought that the emperors became like the gods. But that was, not whatever, that was not the average hope of the average person. It only happened to really special hero types of people, uh, really important people. The average person, death was something to be feared. It was the end of you. It wasn't positive, and it was just kind of there. So there's all kinds of options that people in Corinth might have thought. When they die, here's what will happen. Some of them rejected what Paul teaches, that they'll be raised from the dead. Jesus comes back, and when he comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise. That shows up all over the New Testament. First, uh, First Thessalonians, Romans, Philippians, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, outside the letters of Paul, Revelation, other places, Acts, it's all over the place. It's consistent all the way through. When Jesus comes back, he raises the dead. If Jesus has been raised, everyone who belongs to him will be raised too. And so Paul takes this as a really serious denial. And uh, we'll dig into the consequences of that denial more next week. So if you're interested in, hey, why is this such a big deal for this guy? Uh, we'll really dig in verses 12 through 20 next week, consequences of denying the resurrection. So uh, that's going to be an important part of it. The thing to see at this point is that for Paul, this principle underlies his theology. If it's true for Jesus, it's true for us. He believes that believers are brought into union with Jesus. When you trust Jesus, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you hear the gospel, right? Because that's where he starts, isn't it? Hey, I passed on to you that this most important thing, the, the gospel which is of first importance. I received it, and I'm giving it to you. I didn't make it up. It's not brand new. It was said, spoken to me, and I'm sharing it with you. When you hear it, God goes to work. And sets you free. And you can respond positively to that grace that He gives, or you can respond negatively. But there's only two ways to respond, and everybody does one or the other. 
Notice how he un- thinks about the gospel here. Verse f- chapter 15. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel I proclaim to you, which you in turn received. Also, you stand, right? You stand justified before God because of the gospel, right? Because of the truth that is Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where you stand. Without it, you fall. With it, you stand. Then he goes on and says, through which also you are being saved. And one of the reasons Paul takes this gospel thing so seriously, and the resurrection is the heart of the gospel, right? The cross without the resurrection is not good news, right? If if the story ends on Friday or Saturday with Jesus in the tomb, if the disciples show up on Sunday and his body is there, I mean, let's go home and go back to bed and just sleep in for a while because it's not good news, Sometimes, sometimes folks try to say, well, you know, miracles are hard to accept and resurrection's hard to, tough to believe. So, you know, we'll just kind of focus on the good teaching of Jesus and not sweat that resurrection thing too much because who can really believe that? Anymore? We're modern people. And I just want to say, friends, like that's not Christianity. Like for, in the New Testament, if it's not resurrection, it's not Christianity. This is the thing. And so Paul says, look, This is God's instrument for your salvation. So you hear it. You hear the good news. Jesus died for your sins and was raised on the third day. And God is at work through that message through which you are being saved. So you hear it. And it's it's not like reading the newspaper. Hey, here's a story and I'm reading it. It's just words. It's not like watching something on TV. I'm hearing the words. It's just normal words. It's not like a conversation we're having over coffee. Just normal words. These words are different. These words will change your life. These words require a decision, don't they? Like You cannot just sort of hear the Gospel and say, you know, Jesus the Lord was crucified and He's risen, and I'm just going to keep going the way I'm going. To do that is to say, I'm, I'm not going to... It's, it's unbelief. Right? To, to hear the Gospel and not change is unbelief. There's no neutrality with the Gospel. So Paul says, through these words, you are being saved. Jesus is rescuing you from sin. He's rescuing you from death. He's taking the dark places in your heart. He's making them light. He's taking the the broken places in your life. He's mending them. He's taking the places of your shame. He's bringing His, His, His love, His perfect love. He's taking the places of your brokenness, your guilt, your condemnation. All of the things I've done to hurt. He's coming and He's bringing healing through which you are being saved. You say, I can't. How can He forgive me? I walked away from Him. I, I, I didn't honor Him with my life. I've done so many things. I've hurt so many people. I've just, how could He love me? And the script, Scripture wants to say, Paul wants to say, this Gospel, Christ died and He was raised. Through that message, you are being saved. And nobody falls outside the boundaries of that grace. And He invites all of us, Jesus does, through those words, to come to Him. And when we do, He joins us to Himself. When we trust, when we we respond to that grace and trust in Him, He joins us to Himself. And everything that's His, He shares it with us. Everything that belongs to Him, He shares it with His brothers and sisters. The theologians call this the doctrine of union with Christ. (laughs) And if you read through the letters of Paul, he's always saying, in Him, in Christ, in Him. In Him you have this. In Him you have that. In Christ you have this. All of these things. And every time you get that, prepositions matter, don't they? In Jesus is life and grace and peace and wholeness. 
and resurrection. It's true for Jesus. It's true for all of us. That includes the resurrection from the dead. Now we need to understand clearly what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus' resurrection. I said with the kids a moment ago, resurrection is not about coming back from the dead. You get instances of that, right? Um, it's common to hear stories of people who are you know, medically dead and doctors revive them. Uh, stories in Scripture. Lazarus is the, the big example. Jesus brings him back. But we haven't seen him lately. And why haven't we seen him lately? Because he died again. And everyone who's ever been brought back from the dead has died again. Jesus is different. Resurrection isn't about coming back from the dead only to die again. Resurrection is about being raised from the dead never to die again. One theologian says it's about going through death and out the other side. Not coming back! Busting right through the other side. Through death and out the other side. It's a new experience of embodied human life. Free from sin. Free from corruptibility. Free from mortality. As a gift of God. And it's embodied life, isn't it? It's a body taken and healed in every way. Perfected and glorified. As God always intended. And that's the gift that He gives so here's Jesus on Good Friday. Arms stretched, bleeding, you know, organs failing. You know, when you're crucified, it's not the bleed, bleed, blood loss that kills you most of the time. It, you, you actually suffocate. You're hanging there and you can't hold yourself up. And your lungs just can't keep working. So there's Jesus. And He's doing that because He loves us. And he, gives it, you know, he yields His life for us. And He's laid in a borrowed tomb. Borrowed because He wouldn't need it for long. He's laid in a borrowed tomb. And now I want you, you know, just try to imagine, it's Easter morning. Take yourself back a couple thousand years and try to imagine what it would be like. You know, go ahead and close your eyes. I know that's risky. The room's a little dim. It's kind of, you know, just go ahead and close your eyes. And just try to, before the disciples show up, before the stone gets rolled away, just imagine yourself in there, in that cave, kind of a tomb in a cave. And in the middle of the cave, there's a kind of a stone table. And on the table is a body wrapped in cloths. And the body is Jesus' body. And the air is stale because the room's been closed up for a couple of days. It's filled with sorrow and the beginning stench of death. And you're looking at that linen cloth and all of a sudden you begin to see it move. <laughs> and Maybe the chest of the body on the table begins to rise. <laughs> and maybe there's a twitch on the fingers or the toes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, those organs begin to work and, and, and the heart begins to beep. And Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on Friday, takes His first breath on Sunday, a resurrected human being. As one songwriter puts it, <laughs> the blood that brought us peace with God began to race through His veins. We're talking DNA, white blood cells, red blood cells, 
all the stuff like livers, gallbladders, brain, his body came through death and out the other side. I mean, just take it, we take a minute and imagine the reality of that. All of a sudden, that heavy air, that stench of death begins to teem with life because the breath of life is expanding in Jesus' lungs. The breath of life is filling the lungs of the Son of God on this day, 2,000 years ago. And when he stood up and walked out of that tomb, stone rolled away, death's defeat was sealed. He would never, never, never die again. And he promises, if you belong to me, everything that's mine, I'm going to share it with you. And that means if resurrection is true for Jesus, and brothers and sisters, if it's not, I'm going home. If resurrection is true for Jesus, it will be true for me and you. It will be true for all of us. Jesus says, if you're my brother, if you're my sister, if you're a child of my Father, if you, you belong to me, everything I have, I'm going to share it with you. That's what the resurrected Jesus says. And that means when He comes back, and our lungs have stopped breathing long ago, the breath of life will fill them. And because the blood that He shed was recovered and raced through those veins, our hearts will beat again. Livers and gallbladders and things. Incorruptible, immortal, unable to die, free from sin, thoroughly glorified. I mean, that's what we're talking about, friends. When Jesus comes back, that's, that's what Paul is describing. When he says, the resurrection of the dead. Now the thing is, the last several hundred years in Christian history, that has not been a major emphasis. And that's deeply regrettable. I mean, because, I mean, look, Paul is about to write his longest sustained argument on any topic on the problem of not having resurrection, future bodily resurrection for believers as a central aspect of the Christian faith. He's like, if you don't have that, we're going to talk about next week the consequences of not having that as the central aspect of our faith. It's not a pleasant, <laughs> just read it, it's there. You, we'll talk about it next time. It's massively important. If resurrection is true for Jesus, it will be true for us. It's a non-negotiable in the New Testament. It's massively important. As long as bodies stay in the ground, death wins. Now somebody might be saying, well, what about heaven? I thought that was the thing. And friends, I'll tell you this. I've been a pastor almost 15 years. This is one of the most common questions I get. You know, what happens to some, a believer when they die? And many of us have had this conversation, so you've heard it before, but I'll, we'll say it again because it's important. My dad passed away almost 30 years ago. Many of you have, um, all of us, <laughs> have felt the sting of death. Parents, siblings, perhaps children. We've all felt that. We know how bad it hurts. Doctrine of the resurrection says that's not the end. 
I know we want to affirm, you know, my dad, maybe some, some of your parents or, or other people, when they pass away, they're with Jesus. And that's good. It's good to be with Jesus. Amen? It's good to be with Jesus. But the New Testament never portrays that as the end of the story. Right? Here's Paul talking about resurrection. He says nothing in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians about going to be with Jesus when you die. Not a word. It's not there. Doesn't mean he doesn't believe it. He talks about it in other places. Philippians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. It's there. But he never portrays that as the goal. Never. Instead, he teaches, we could put it this way, a two-stage life after death experience. How about that? When a believer dies, Paul says they're with Jesus, and that's good. But they're still waiting for something. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the resurrection. My dad right now is with Jesus, and he's waiting for the resurrection. My grandparents, they're with Jesus, and that's good. But it's not, it's not over. They're waiting, for, they're waiting for Jesus to raise their bodies from the ground. And I love to say, and some, again, some of you heard this before, I'd love to be walking through that cemetery in Huntsville, Alabama, where my dad was buried 30 years ago. There's, there's grass over the grave. The marker's there. Maybe you can visualize what that's, you've been in graveyards. Love to see that sod begin to come apart as the angelic trumpet sound. And the Lord Jesus descends and that vault, that concrete vault, you know what they look like. Boom! Will not be able to hold the glorified bodies of the children of God. I think about those, uh, you know, the caskets have the hinge lids, kind of the bolts on the one side and the hinges on the other can't wait to see those things just come to pieces. It's like, just start, just like dust. I mean, how spectacular will it be? I mean, a cemetery, nobody likes going to cemeteries, but when Jesus comes back, that's where you want to be. That's where the action will be. The dead in Christ will rise. That's what the whole of 1 Corinthians 15 is about. It's massively important. And it's massively important because, friends, it's about hope. It's about hope. 30 years later, I still grieve the loss of my dad. Not the same way as when I was a child. Not even the same way as when I was, you know, 10, 15 years later. It's different now. It comes in different experiences. Different, different things produce that. But it's still grief. And it's not... It, I'm grateful for that in some ways because it just... Great grief is a testimony to great love, isn't it? You don't grieve people you don't love. <laughs> you do grieve people who meant everything. And I'm still grieving right now. And I will for the rest of my life. And you're grieving somebody. When Jesus comes back and the dead are raised, that grief will come to an end. And the people you've lost, the people you grieve, the sons and daughters of God, the brothers and sisters of Jesus. You will feel their touch, the embrace, the warmth of their breath on your face as you embrace one another. It's, tact it's real, it's tactile, it's physical, it's life, friends, it is life. And in the Bible, it's everything. 
Resurrection matters because resurrection is hope and healing for our broken hearts, for our grieving souls, and for this messed up world. Because the Bible also says when Jesus comes back, He's not just going to raise the dead, He's going to, set, he's going to raise the, the, the cosmos. All creation is groaning and in pain and is eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons of God, Romans 8, 18 and following. And when Jesus returns, He's going to take all of that decay and all of that brokenness, He's going to set it free going to set it free and just like one of the kids said it'll be heaven on earth and that's where heaven comes in <laughs> when jesus and his brothers and sisters are together in a world set free from death so i hope this easter your hearts are filled with a new experience of hope that's what easter is about it's about healing grief healing brokenness healing this broken world and healing our broken hearts. And that won't happen until the dead are raised. It won't happen fully. It won't happen perfectly until the dead are raised. So take that bottom line. Take the resurrection of Jesus and grab on to every implication, especially this one. If it's true for Jesus, it will be true for you and me. And don't you want to give your life to that one? To that Lord? I mean, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting there and you're hearing this and you're saying, I know about this Jesus guy. I've heard a lot about him, but I'm not... I'm, you know, it's kind of that thing happens in our hearts and we're like, yeah, I heard all the stories. It's nice. I went to church when I was a kid and I showed up on Easter because I don't normally show up and I can handle this. And, you know, I mean... If that's the place where you are, and you're just kind of like, Jesus is cool, but He's over there, and i got stuff going on, and I can handle my business, and you do not want to be out of His hands on this. He, because He holds life in His hands. You do not want to be out of His hands on this. He holds life in His hands. You're sitting there and you're on the fence and just thinking, you know, I'm not sure about that preacher. Just stop it. And worship the risen Lord Jesus. Just stop. Just stop sitting on the fence. And bow down before the exalted and resurrected Son of God. And come into union with Him. Come into His fullness. Come into life and come into, come into hope that this is not all there is. That one day Jesus is going to show up and give you everything that He's got.